0: Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 138 with uh, Maki Musavi returning to the podcast. We talked to her way back in episode 57. Go back and listen to that if you want to. Uh, she has a background uh, in genetic counseling. She has a master's degree. That's not really what we talked about. We talked a little bit about it, but uh, that was sort of her initial career path. But uh, she also wrote a book called The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest of Fulfillment. And uh, boy, we talked about all kinds of great stuff. She came to us from Kansas City. We talked about the Super Bowl this last weekend a little bit as well and uh, a few little tidbits and maybe some uh, broader lessons for all of us that come out of something like that. And where she's, you know, land of the chiefs, uh, and they lost. We had some interesting little thoughts and insights about all that. But we talked a lot about freeing ourselves. We talked a lot about... Uh, embracing the differences with others and overcoming fear and the importance of failure and all these just various kind of deep topics that sometimes we have some version of pain attached to them as well. But uh, I think we can let go of a little bit of that even today as we listen to this uh, conversation together. <laughs> and uh, before we jump into all that, I want to remind you, as always, you are absolutely unequivocally and without a doubt priceless. Nothing Nothing, nothing can change that. Even if you want it to change, if you want to tell yourself that, oh, that's not the case. uh, Sorry, you're lying to yourself. You are absolutely priceless, and what that means is you are just full, full, full of potential in every sense of the word. Don't limit yourself, and find ways to get the things that you want, deserve, and need out of life. Uh, Of course, hopefully, in the process, respecting, loving, and supporting others uh, along the way, which will help you on your journey, as I've learned from experience, because I've been on both sides of that spectrum, and. uh, Of course, along with that, you are never alone. Uh, Nothing can change that fact either. All of us are going through a lot of different things in life. Whether we had a pandemic or not, life is about you know, trials and difficulties and experience that teach us. And so I want you to kind of take that into account as we go through these things. It's all about how we frame things. We talked in this podcast about, you know, you never lose in life. You either win or you learn. And uh, that's just the way it's got to be. But you are not alone. Reach out if you need to. Info at empowerhumans.com at empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. I'm going to open it up soon. Uh, watch for this. I may even have an ad at the top of the show that you may have heard about. Uh, I want to get on calls with some of you. I want to actually. Talk Talk to as many of you as I can who are listening to this podcast, and uh, get to know each other. There's no sales, anything, nothing like that. This is just person to person. I want to get to know you, um, so I'm going to have a calendar link set up. Uh, at call.empowerhumans.com, and uh, we can do all those things. And I may even give away a a nice thing along with that as well for those who take us up on that offer. So uh, in any event, you're not alone, and also you can get on a call with me, and we can schedule it now uh, coming right up here. Uh, The other things I want to touch on before we jump into the podcast is uh, our challenges, study, That's uh, find things that resonate with you, with who you are. Listen to your gut. You know, if you want to read fiction, that's fine. Stimulate your mind, whatever form you want to. If you're into, you know, genetic counseling, like our friend Mackie here, or some other things, self-help and various little topics, just to constantly retune ourselves. Because like I've been saying, we're like instruments. We get out of tune, we need to retune. And studying is one of the absolute best ways to do that in terms of our mindset. The second challenge is make great moments. I talked about some stuff here in the podcast with that, just some things in the last few Few days with my boys so listen for that as well but that's really with the people that we love those were the best moments in life that really matters. we look back on our lives uh the, there'll be pillars of joy uh in the midst of some disappointments and failures and we have to embrace all of it that's just all part of life we've all gone through it we need to all stop pretending everything's supposed to be so perfect or that we have to convey to the world that everything's just going so well and so perfect it's not a lot of times it's not But uh, make great moments along the way, whether good times, bad times, we can always make great moments, have fun playing in the dirt if that's all we have left or whatever situation. I don't mean to make light of difficult situations, but we can make great moments and find joy along the way. We did a podcast some time ago with a guy named Bob Wheeler who talked about going to Tanzania and some of the poorest people in the world, their average annual income is $100 for the year. And some of the happiest people too. And that kind of threw them for a loop. We actually have a video about it on our Instagram. You can dig up as well. Uh, Email me if you want the link. It's also, I think, on our YouTube channel. But... uh make great moments Study and our last challenge of course is let's keep doing this podcast together i hope you'll also indulge a little bit that i talked to her about a band called tooled because i discovered that we're both fans of this band uh, and you may or may not be something you're into but we touched on some interesting things throughout the podcast because we touched on some different lyrics that related to some of the <laughs> the topics we're talk, uh, talking about so hopefully you can indulge that and bear with us a little bit as we uh, indulge in some things that uh, are interesting to both she and i i guess and uh, maybe some of you But uh, without further ado, let's jump right in. Here's our interview with the one and only Mackie Musavi. Here we go. We are privileged and uh, happy again to welcome Mackie Musavi, who joined us. uh, I looked last night, Mackie, you joined us episode 57. So a little bit of time ago, because I think we're up to like 137, 138 now. (laughs) How are you doing today?
1: That's very cool. I am doing great, and I'm excited to have another opportunity to chat with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're excited to have you. Um, And some of this, like we were interacting a little bit on social media. Um, I know that our fan base may not all be p- fans of the band Tool, but you and I were talking a little <laughs> bit about Tool and I was like, wow, she's a fan of Tool. That's awesome. <laughs> and then we were just talking, interacting yeah. about different things, but I was like, why don't you come back on the podcast? So, uh, and, and by the way, since we're on that real quick, what got you into the band tool some people may or may not be aware of this band uh if they're not you're missing out but <laughs> what got That's right
1: you are. <laughs> yeah, what
0: got you into this?
1: Yeah, so I um I think like a lot of kids probably uh you know listen to a lot of mainstream kind of music and whatever was on the radio especially when I was in high school because we didn't have satellite radio we didn't have streaming platforms I sound yeah. like I'm 95 years old but it's true <laughs> and um I kind of started getting into, you know, different listening to different kinds of music when I was in high school, like, you know, um, Pink Floyd and really getting into more meaningful, uh, deeper than the average radio play kind of music. And it was around that time that the album Undertow came out. I I believe I was either a sophomore or a junior in high school. And Mm -hmm. I remember just being blown away. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it, I think it's a combination. Like I sometimes describe tool and sometimes Pink Floyd and other bands to kind of fall into this loose, like almost philosophical genre of music yeah. as something that sounds both like very primal, but also otherworldly at the same time. Mm. And there was something about that combination and the way that the music was put together the depth of the emotion and then the intensity that the musicianship brings that just, I hadn't, just hadn't heard anything like it yeah. and I got hooked, <laughs> Yeah, you know? So that was kind of the beginning of the end for me. You know, I was a hardcore fan from that point forward. Um, so that's kind of my, my tool introduction story.
0: <laughs> cool. I like it. It's, and I, you know, mine was similar. But uh, it's, you know, as a drummer myself, too, as Danny Carey became quickly my favorite drummer. So anyone looking at little trivia about me, you'll learn these little things as we go. But uh, just all the intricate time signatures and all the stuff, I just being in bands, it's just like I could really appreciate. So, again, some of our audience may not be into that and we'll move on to these other uh, amazing topics. But I thought, well, let's address that up front because we were chatting about Tool a little bit. I was like, well, but And by the way, I know one of the songs from Tool, as we segue into another topic that you liked that you talked to me about was 46 and two, which uh, I think connects Mm -hmm. a lot of it with some of your background, because you started out, you were just telling me uh, you had your master's uh, in genetic counseling. Uh, (laughs) How does that song tie into that? And also, let's uh, let's transition to your career path a little bit, too.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, forty-six and two. The the premise of that song is like a, some kind of an evolution beyond where we are now. And it, most people know with basic science that human beings have forty-six chromosomes. Yeah. Obviously, something that's a big focus in genetics and cytogenetics, um, and part of the study that that I was involved in. And so I was really intrigued by that idea of taking something that's very like scientifically very scientifically based and turning it into almost like a spiritual evolution concept in that song. Um, and bringing those two worlds kind of together, you know, that that scientific element with this evolution of more of a spiritual mental plane of existence that's discussed in that song. So that's one of the reasons like the nerdy side of me really loves the title. I know it, a lot of people <laughs> are when they initially hear that song may not understand that connection or get why It's fun for nerds like me, but that is the the I've always loved that the abstract um, element of genetics because it's it's so tiny and infinitesimal that you can never see it, but it is the basis of all life. And there's just something kind of cool about that. And I love hearing creative applications of that, which that song definitely does.
0: Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. One of my favorite songs, and in terms of your. Uh, career path. And obviously some of these things for this, you know, our audience go back and listen to episode 57, if you want to, it's still there. Uh, this is from like 2019. Uh, <laughs> but your mm-hmm. career path brought you to this. You tell tell me a little about what genetic counseling is, first of all, just so our audience understands and then kind of maybe what evolved in your career path that brought you to where you're doing now.
1: Sure. Yeah. Genetic counseling is weird. Um, It was obscure when I studied it and I feel like it's still obscure today. A lot of people have never heard of it, but it is, I I loved science. I really wanted to use it and and learn it in a way that was um, practical rather than research oriented. And, you know, back in the day, pretty much everything genetics oriented was, you know, you got a PhD and you spent a bunch of time in a lab and that was something I knew I didn't want to do. Yeah. Genetic counseling is the application of that knowledge in interaction with people who have a genetic risk. So, genetic counselors are a specific subset. They're a part of a medical team, usually, the most knowledgeable member of a medical team when it comes to genetics and risk. And it's applied in various different parts of medicine. So, the very common areas are things like prenatal genetics, where, you know, maybe there is a. Um, you know, predisposition or a risk of a birth defect, something that's happening there that needs to be looked at, or in cancer genetics, very mm-hmm. commonly, because there are different kinds of cancers that they can present in ways that makes them red flags for an inherited component. And the job of the genetic counselor is to really understand the family history to assess the history for risk and to determine what if any potential testing is available, and then you know, where to go from there and how to talk to the rest of the family members about that risk. So now it's really it's present and even was then in every area of medicine that you can imagine, because there are Genetic risks in every area of medicine that you can imagine, mm-hmm. um, and of course, it's grown leaps and bounds since the time that that I studied it. But I really liked the idea of being able to take that knowledge and try to communicate it to someone in a way that they can understand it. When truly they're in a crisis mode, right? There's usually fear, anxiety, lots of worry about the future in people who have to speak to a genetic counselor. And there was that component of being able to help someone through a crisis and deal with that piece of the emotional picture as well as communicating the science in a way that could bring knowledge and value to them that really appealed to me.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about your career now, you know, that's what we're going to get into. And and what brought you because you have this book that we're going to probably talk a little bit about called The High Achievers Guide. By by the way the subtitle mm-hmm. is Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. So, where do you go from being in that career path to now writing this book? What happened in there?
1: Yeah, Well, what I did was, you know, even as much as I loved what I was studying and the way that I set about to apply it, I I understood very early on that I would likely take that knowledge and apply it in a different way, especially because genetic counseling is so esoteric that it's not as if jobs in that particular space are always available and always open, you know, to somebody who has that background. What ended up happening for me was I... Landed a job with a um, big healthcare IT company that was actually building software to support labs that were doing the kind of genetic testing that is understood and um, communicated by genetic counselors. It was actually the perfect fit in terms of being able to take what I knew and apply it in a broader way. And after many, many years of being a subject matter expert and really focusing on that one particular area. I got some encouragement from, you know, an executive mentor that I had to consider whether or not I wanted to stay on the path of subject matter expertise, or if I wanted to, to actually grow my career in the business. Mm -hmm. And after a lot of consideration, I thought, well, you know, this is something I know really well, it's not going anywhere, I could learn more on this business oriented path. So let's go in that direction. And that's what I did. But I would say there was a unique set of circumstances where I was working grew very, very rapidly over a relatively short period of time. And I there were always issues there. I think it's true of any kind of corporate environment that, but they got magnified to some extent as the growth took place. And then I would say as my own experience with a different side of the company changed and expanded that. I started to understand and really see, I I wasn't happy where I was at all. And that was despite, you know, massively increasing my salary, being promoted on a regular basis, having a really good network and the respect of a lot of people that I worked with. I just was miserable, to be honest with you. And I wasn't sure why that was. Mm. So it was over the course of several years that I tried to do a lot of really in-depth personal development work, because of course, I think like a lot of people, my first inclination was to look for a job and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But luckily I had the insight to understand as I thought through it, that that would really be a very temporary fix that I know that I'm the kind of person who likes to start new things. And that, that alone would make me feel engaged for a, at least a little while if i went somewhere else but that ultimately i was the problem my environment wasn't the problem i was the problem there i was seeking something that i couldn't get through the places where i was landing or the places i was considering yeah. and it was at that point that i that i decided i needed to leave and it was all the work that i did on myself over a span of years that i put into this book because i don't believe it should take anyone years it shouldn't have to take anyone years to kind of go through their own personal evolution. And I wanted to create something that would help people go faster if that's what they want to do.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's probably a very common thing. And obviously we addressed some of this a little bit last time that we talked. Um, I think we're, in a different place in the world to some extent, obviously uh, now with uh, not the least of which uh, reasons being this pandemic and uh, these other situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got people who are on a career path and some people are now laid off and other things is it's just kind of a, a different world we're in. Um, as you mm-hmm. go from that place of dissatisfaction and I noticed in the, like we talked about the subtitle of your book, The words that pop Mm -hmm. out to me are the words success and fulfillment, which which are kind of pitted pitted against each other in that subtitle. Is there something about like can can we have both, (laughs) or is does one take (laughs) over the other
1: in terms of the success and the fulfillment?
0: Yeah, because it's because you're talking about transform your success mindset and begin the quest to fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, obviously, right. you're probably not saying, "Oh no, you can't be successful," or it's it's either or because I. Well, but what are your thoughts?
1: Sure. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I really believe the challenge that we have is the version what we're taught about success and what we absorb from very early ages, you know, it comes from so many different sources. It comes from our families, our socioeconomic status, the geographical location that we live in, the industry that we're in, the people that we hang out with, and, you know, what their expectations of success are. And then, of course, all of the what i would call collective messaging that happens at a society level about what it takes to be successful and one of the things that i learned about myself was that the, the i kind of internalized this definition of success that i absorbed from my surroundings without ever really stopping to think about whether or not that was what i actually wanted for myself mm-hmm. and i think that's what most people do i think most of us you know we consume Um, you know, maybe content about how to be more productive or how to 10x your goals or the kind of hustle that you should be doing to get to where you want to be. And we end up in this place where we're very attached to a material outcome, like whether that's money or a certain status, a certain kind of recognition, it's very dependent on other people validating that what you've done has value. And what happens is if you're chasing what somebody else has defined as valuable and it doesn't align up with what you define as valuable, you can achieve all those things and those drivers will work. But the version of success that you create for yourself is going to feel empty when you get there. Mm -hmm. The book is all about how to make sure you're not chasing a definition of success that you've internalized and instead are deliberately creating a version of success that's about what works for you so that you can achieve fulfillment. Because if you achieve it through these external needs for, um, you know, someone else telling you that you met their expectations, yeah, I mean, it's no wonder that a lot of people achieve that, but they still feel like there could be more. They're not necessarily happy with that outcome.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, you know and I think about the word success because i'm I'm real big on uh, like etymology of words the roots and things and uh, mm-hmm. so there's there's a few different things that have happened with the word success over time because um, some of the past roots literally just meant a result or outcome and then it kind mm-hmm. of evolved to be something uh, more along the lines of Some of the roots mean something like "come close after," like you're you're kind of following something closely, and and really when it gets down to it, now in our modern times, in in English at least, we're kind of we have this kind of thing about advancing a good result, that something that whatever good is again, we have to define all this stuff, and I think that's it. Sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, like that's one of the points of what you're sharing with people is let's define what what really. Is our success, what really is our fulfillment at the end of the day, rather than just following some path? Because it's, you know, when we were in high school, they said, oh, you got to go do this and do that if you want to be happy and have what we deem a successful life. How do we find our target? How do we find our why behind things to be more aligned with who we truly are so that we actually obtain fulfillment in the process? Does that question make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> It does. No, it absolutely makes sense. And you know, unfortunately, it's not an easy answer. And I think that's why a lot of people don't do the work. Um, What it really takes at first, and this part can be kind of uncomfortable is to understand your baseline, you know, how what you believe right now isn't working for you is critically important. It's it's the key to changing it to something that will and most of us, when we're uncomfortable, with our emotions, we just run from them. We, we try to sweep things under the rug. We're not real big on sitting down and going, hmm, why do I feel this way, right? We just, we want that feeling to go away as quickly as possible. And yeah. it puts us into this mode, especially over time, if you're unhappy and you can't seem to figure out how to get away from it, you know, you accept this new, you have a pretty low expectation for what to expect from every day. And so you just kind of go into autopilot mode. And it's in the autopilot mode that we tend to just let a lot of things slide that are really trying to get our attention. So if you have anxiety, if you tend to worry, if you don't sleep well, um, you know, if there are, if you're uncomfortable, if you feel kind of like apathetic, all of those emotions are like really our friends. They're like little red flag friends that are trying to get our attention But what we mostly do is ignore them. And it's when we take a step back and go, okay, no more autopilot mode. I need to be very conscious of the thoughts that are happening in my head and the emotions that I'm experiencing so that I can be clear about what I'm tolerating right now. That's not working for me. That knowing what doesn't work, what you don't want forms the foundation for figuring out what you do, but you have to have that clarity first.
0: Yeah. What a great point because defining what you don't want also helps hone in on what you do. I, I really love that, uh, that important point. Uh, and as you talk about, like, again, we mentioned this whole uh, COVID situation, this pandemic, it's, it's kind of created uh, situations for all of us that are really uh, shared mutual situations where maybe some of the particulars are a little different. But it's something out of our control. <laughs> and do you have any thoughts right. or insights about yeah that particular kind of circumstance that at least currently a lot of us find ourselves in with you know whether it's kids out of school or someone's out of a job here in Vegas. There's a lot of people not working like they were because Vegas is at least half closed kind of thing still. The shows and the buffets and all that are closed. And um, so I'm just throwing out examples. But there's tons and tons of different scenarios, but people are dealing with something they didn't expect and certainly can't fully Mm -hmm. control. But what can we control and what kinds of uh, insights maybe do you have, Mackie?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think that's such a great point, you know, and we've all been through a version of that. Obviously, some people have been hit much more um, hard in terms of the socioeconomic impact, which is really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. But Crisis does have a way of bringing to a head whatever internal potential issues we have as well. So let's say, for instance, um, you have been going along in a job that you've really been tolerating that didn't necessarily fulfill you or make you happy. It wasn't necessarily where you wanted to be, but there was something about just the you know, the need to keep going to work and to keep earning and to support your life and all of those things that that a lot of us experience that you just kind of get caught up in. What being in a period of time like this can h- allow you to do is to sometimes, you know, life imposes breaks on us that we don't want. And I actually think that's especially true when we are maybe not pursuing a path that's serving our highest interests, it gives you a chance to sit back and say, you know, there are elements of this I can't control. There are stresses this this is putting on my life that I that I don't necessarily have the power to change just by... Making taking one action, Mm -hmm. but what is this showing me about me? What's coming up for me in this moment? Um, If I'm honest with myself, you know, was what I was doing where I wanted to be? Was there something about the pace at which I was going uh, that was allowing me to not pay attention to or get on a path that I really want to be on? Why won't I take that path? What am I afraid of? Asking yourself a lot of questions and being conscious of your mental chatter is such an important way to get insights into your own internal processes. And I really think, and there are plenty of people who have this experience, and they can see it in hindsight, that it's often through circumstances where we have no control, that some significant change in direction happens in our lives. You know, sometimes it's somebody gets laid off, and they're like, it's a devastating event in the moment. And then Down the line, they're able to look back at it and say, I can see now why that happened because these are the changes that have taken place since then. And I never would have made the decision to go in this direction if I hadn't been forced to. Mm. And the more we can avoid being forced in the future is where I would like to see people be able to get to, right? To not need to have the catastrophic event happen in order to help you make a change in your life that's positive.
0: Yeah. Great points. It sounds to me like some of the keys that I'm gleaning from what you just said have to do with us being conscious. Cause you talked earlier about being on autopilot and so, and so much of us, like we had a guest mm-hmm. one time talk about how so much of our day really is spent uh, kind of in almost a state of hypnosis, which is kind of scary it's even, and especially when we're driving <laughs> a state of at least mm-hmm. partial <laughs> hypnosis. Um, and so, you know, like you talk about being conscious, what Stephen Covey might call proactive or, uh, you know, just taking initiative to really be mindful, uh, which these are kind of terms related to meditation a little bit too. And and I know we talked previously about that. Do you have any additional thoughts or insights about uh, meditation? Because sometimes, you know, I've gotten benefits from it. One of the things that's helped me the most is having guided meditations, but sometimes I could see where, If you just Mm -hmm. like sit in silence, I heard a guy on a podcast talk about he sits in silence for two hours a day and it's one of the best things he does. And and there's people who do far more than that, by the way, not necessarily as much in Western society, but this is a guy like an American guy sitting for two hours a day in silence. Um, What what insights do you have on uh, meditation as it pertains to this being proactive and conscious and, you know, taking initiative in our lives?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I would lose my shit if I sat still for two hours a day. So, um, I definitely don't do that, but I to each their own. Right. I, yeah, I think it's a great question because I do believe, you know, it's like success. I think there's a lot of mainstream messaging around meditation that really used to trip me up. And for me in particular, it was this idea that, you know, you're supposed to do your best to kind of clear your mind. I have found that for me, that is not the purpose of meditation. I try to focus on something else, whether you know it's breathing for a little bit, or if I'm listening to something, I like to listen to, um, to music and sometimes just focus on that rather than what's happening inside my head. Mm-hmm. But what I have found is that I believe there's lots of different types of meditation. And there are times when we need the quiet kind of meditation where we are kind of clearing our thoughts of maybe worries and anxieties and things that are on a loop in our heads. But I also think for me that active meditation has been really, really helpful where I say, okay, I'm, there's something that I'm trying to figure out and just thinking about it isn't necessarily the right move. Cause I, I can't unlock my brain around this issue. So I might meditate and sit down with the intention of being open to having the answer come in. Or, and sometimes that means I'm thinking about something else in that moment, or I'm actively taking what feels like new ideas that are coming to me during that time. And for me, having that flexibility to not have to have meditation, have a certain outcome has been really, really helpful. And for me, being outside is even a form of meditation. So when it's not zero degrees, like it is in Kansas city today, Mm -hmm. I try to get outside because just being outside and being very intentional about noticing the breeze, the way the sun feels, um, the quality of the air, listening to the birds, like that in itself is a form of meditation too, where I'm focusing on something specific in order to allow my mind a chance to quiet down. So I have learned there are different ways to do it. And I now understand why, you know, being the person who sits in silence for two hours, why that doesn't work for me. That's not, that's not something that feels forced, but some of these other ways feel more like flow. And in meditation, I feel like it's important for people to find what works for them and then do it and maybe Mm -hmm. experiment with it, but do what works for you and, and not necessarily take the the goal is to, you know, have an empty mind, which for me never worked.
0: <laughs> well I like what you're saying about essentially uh kind of freeing and opening our minds opening ourselves to answers it reminds me again of a tool lyric where he says free yourself from yourself <laughs> and uh you mean <laughs> not- <laughs> We'll sing that one later and but it really that's kind of what happens it's kind of an ironic thing in life where we we kind of lock ourselves down you know we talk about lockdown and a pandemic and stuff but in some ways we kind of lock ourselves down uh within ourselves because you know and i've heard some people recently talk about how we can control everything internally how we process everything externally and everything in the way we think we can we can get to a place where we control that. We can't control necessarily everything externally, but at the end of the day, between your book and between the topic of meditation, everything else, it's about freedom, isn't it? I mean, it's such a human nature thing to, to crave freedom and freeing our mind. In some ways, like you said, go outside and hear the birds and stuff. It's like freeing our minds from being freeing ourselves from ourselves. Now we're opened up to these other forces that can give us some insight, give us some answers. Um, There's not really a question there. Uh, And by the way, you mentioned Kansas City. How are we feeling about the Chiefs? I don't mean to digress (laughs) since we just had the Super Bowl. Oh,
1: that game was just so terrible. (laughs) It was so frustrating to watch. And I felt so bad for Patrick Mahomes because I felt like there was nobody there for him. You know, he kept trying and trying and trying. And the team just... Couldn't give him the protection he needed. They wouldn't catch the balls that he mm-hmm. threw. I, I it was just it was frustrating. Yeah. So I'm glad it's over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it was almost out territory. Like we it reminded me of some of the old Super Bowls in the nineties. It was, uh, but. It was yeah. It is what it is, and this these things that happen. But is there anything in the topic of the Super Bowl that we can somehow apply uh, again as an analogy to our success principles? I mean, you look at a guy like Tom Brady, and people say uh, people are at the top echelons. Let's just be honest. Tom Brady is. He's forty three. Just won his seventh Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> so by all mm-hmm. accounts, at the top of his game, many believe, and I might agree begrudgingly, maybe greatest of all time, but. Uh, <laughs> At the same time, <laughs> how does all that play in? Like, you've got a an experienced, relatively—I mean, he's older than me. I just turned forty, uh, and I ain't playing Super Bowls maybe next year. But he's. he's <laughs> and then you got Brian, You've got, uh, you've got uh, Patrick Mahomes. How old is Patrick Mahomes? I don't even know. Well, he's younger. He's, like he's not forty.
1: Twenty-six. I mean, yeah. No.
0: Yeah. But you know, and I and I was watching. Yeah, all I, the- You know. Go ahead. <sighs>
1: Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think it's similar to, to some of what we were talking about. You know, obviously this is a, a professional sporting event and it's, it's different when you lose a sporting event versus you losing your, your job. Right. But everything has some parallels in that, um, he, you know, he's still, he's still young and the, there definitely, this has been a weird year. There are definitely some people who weren't in the game that would yeah. have normally been in the game. That could have provided a different experience and maybe led to a different outcome. And I think the important thing is to always, when you have something that feels like a loss or a failure, is to see what you got from it. You know, there is no way that you walk away from something like that without having learned where there's opportunities for change or, you know, where there were things outside of their control, like people being missing, perhaps not enough time to prepare with the people that had to step in or just not having the rhythm that's typically there when it's the same group of people playing together over multiple games and knowing like, Hey, there's just some things that happened that we, we can't control. And so there's no point in kind of revisiting that over and over and over again, where the places where things didn't go the way that we wanted them to go, that we can make sure we don't do next time. And you just kind of pick yourself up and dust yourself off and you use that in whatever way you can and you move on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, I mean, we don't need to feel too bad for them, but I see the obviously it would have been cool for them to have the back-to-back Super Bowl wins and all that. But on a bigger sense, for all of us, we all fail. Even if it's, oh, I missed my workout today, Mm -hmm. or failed to do my two-hour meditation. Not that we're encouraging that. I'm just joking, but failed to do something, or maybe kids, or you know, I fall short all the time, and I'm single dad taking care of my kids and stuff, and and but it's frustrating. Work from home. They're not in school, do all these things. And it's, it's easier for all those little stressors to, to kind of get at you to where you kind of lose your cool sometimes a little bit more than you might, if it wasn't that way. Um, but at the same time, like I heard somebody recently say, you never lose in life, you either win or you learn. And Mm -hmm. if we just frame life that way, it's again, going back to the concept of freedom, it's just a very freeing place to be. Uh, and so it
1: is. And for me with, sorry
0: go ahead. We're on a delay.
1: (laughs) I was just going to say, yeah, (laughs) there's, there's, you know, a lot of the people that are, are like, I mean, I would consider myself a type A personality. And I think a lot of people who are in that, you know, the target for being achievement oriented are sort of in that same category. And fear of failure is a huge issue with People who are achievement oriented, and so I think it's really important to remember just what you said. There, there really is no failure. This is something I actually discuss at length in my book, and that that almost paralyzing inability to move forward with something when you aren't guaranteed that it's going to go your way is just a really good way to basically shut the door in your own face. And I just would hate for people to have something they really want to do, but the fear of not moving towards it or the fear of moving towards it is so great that they never do. And to the regret of having not tried it is much greater than any potential, you know, falling on your face that might occur.
0: Mm. No, absolutely. It's a, uh... If, and if we're going to meditate, I would encourage at least that to be one of the ingredients once in a while. Let's let's sit and meditate on our fears and what it really is. And, and some of the, uh, you know, another tool lyric, pain is an illusion. We're fear of pain. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the tool theme today. I'm sorry. But uh, there's all these now. about some version of what we decide to assign meaning to as pain. And you know, we talked last week with a gentleman who we talked about how Tony Robbins says that uh, we assign meaning to everything. Nothing really inherently has meaning. So if we're going to sit back and say, oh, okay, if I do this, I might," someone might make fun of me or I might fail in some way or lose some money or whatever. Um, it, it, going back to a sports analogy, I think of, we did a podcast some time ago, we talk, talk about failure in general towards success. You know, Babe Ruth had these home run, the home run record for decades, way beyond his death. But also so a lot of people don't realize he had strikeout record. You got to do more at bats to be able to have both experience and success, uh, in life. Mm-hmm. So th- that's just, uh, I'm just, I yeah. question in there. What are your thoughts? <laughs> no, that's a
1: great, I mean, that's a great point. And I, you know, yeah. <clears throat> and I, that's actually one of my favorite tool lyrics, by the way, that all this pain is an illusion, um, Failure just isn't a real thing. One of the examples that I like to give to go back to my nerdy science analogies is you know, if you think about modern medicine or even modern technology, we wouldn't have the things that we have if people who were in research labs trying to create vaccines or medications or treatments gave up when whatever they tried didn't work. It takes so many iterations of research and trying and failing and prototyping things. You know, I think it's um, Thomas Edison, he failed like a thousand times before he figured out how to get a light bulb to work. Yeah. And where would we be if he'd been like, after one try, like, screw this, I'm out, right? Like, th- that's not how things come to be. They come to be because there's persistence. And every time you do something like that, and it doesn't work, you you have something that you can tweak and try again. So I think sometimes if you frame it in a big picture, when you consider all the things that we enjoy and take for granted as just being a part of our lives, there were, there was people behind that who refused to fail, who kept going back until they had something. Yeah. And we need to be willing to do that in our own experience.
0: Yeah. Excellent point. I, you know, it occurs to me too, because the other day I was thinking about Like, what if there was just, remember these old Staples commercials where there's an easy button? Let's just press the easy button and then this task gets done or whatever. I was like, well, what if there was an easy button for life? Like, we all just kind of hope and expect and pray that we just have a perfect life. And it just doesn't turn out that way. Let's be honest. Every single one of us, including I'm sure you, things don't turn out the way you plan. Uh, some perfect, like I'm in a single dad's group. Someone the other day was talking about, does anyone just sit and like dwell on the fact their life didn't turn out the way they thought with their family and so on? It, it's not to be depressing. It's that these are all things that give us experience. And isn't there something like, if we just had an easy button to say, okay, life's over, we had a great life. What's it all for? Like we have to go through these experiences And and it occurs to me too, let's embrace it and really stop... I don't know, as human beings, or at least in Western society, we're all about destinations. Let's be about the journey. Let's Mm -hmm. be about the ups and downs, the twists and turns to get there uh, along the way. And there's literally zillions of reasons in every given situation, even when the things that you didn't expect and want, like a pandemic or a Super Bowl loss, which is, you know, not a huge deal, but whatever kinds of more serious things Mm -hmm. in our lives There's ways to find joy, a silver lining, isn't there? Like, isn't there always something, don't you think? I don't know. That's a manipulative question. Do you think? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead.
1: I do. (laughs) I I do believe that that's true. And I also believe the hero's journey concept exists for a reason. We are so intrigued and inspired by people who have to overcome in order to get somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because their resilience and their innovation and their persistence, there are elements of their character that we get to see unfold as a part of that journey. It's what makes people inspiring to us. I also think there's a different experience that we have when we have to apply ourselves in a certain way to get an outcome. Like it's more fulfilling for us to have that experience than to just have something handed to us. Absolutely. But, and I, I believe that's partially because we prove something to ourselves, you know, Hey, I didn't know that I could do this. I wasn't sure that I could do this. Now I know that I can, and you get to, you know, maybe set, set your bar a little higher, set your sights a little further. I really think of all of our experiences, especially when it comes to some of these things, I I always describe things as a a mental muscle. The first time you want to set out to try something, you know, it's like getting off the couch and expecting to run a marathon. You you can't do it. You have to train. And the little things that we do Mm -hmm. where we say, okay, I'm going to speak up for myself in this moment is like you're picking up the two pound weight and curling it for the first time in your life. But then the better you get at speaking up for yourself, and the less scary it feels to you, you know, then you're doing the equivalent of a hundred pound curl and it feels like nothing, but you have to have those experiences and build that mental muscle memory around, um, what it feels like to go into territory that is uncomfortable for you until it just isn't uncomfortable anymore. It's like any other habit, but because we have these emotions that we tend to label as negative or uncomfortable, instead of seeing them as our allies that we, we, go, oh, I don't want to do that. And, mm-hmm. and we just stay where we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And uh, yeah, like you talk about this hero's journey topic, it's like uh, some of the best movies or stories that so many people just love, love, love are that very kind of story this underdog had to overcome, you know, Rocky Balboa or whatever, The Hobbit, <laughs> these kinds of things. Yeah, right. <sighs> Zillions of movies in between that, uh, and those are very different movies, but they're very similar in the same in the same vein in terms of that hero's journey. An underdog had to overcome to go have success. <laughs> he, yeah. Rocky, Rocky was pursuing a heavyweight champion belt and he was you know, Frodo was pursuing a ring, but uh, in a different way, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And on that topic, by the way, I like to ask some of our guests, and by the way, I'm gonna, I haven't done this much lately, but I'd like to ask you not to shift gears too much. Do you have heroes? Are there people you look up to uh, in terms of all these things we're talking about or just in general in life or maybe in your family? Or they don't all have to be some big celebrity or someone like Gandhi necessarily, but, um, and if they are, that's great too. But do you, Mackie, have any, any heroes uh, as far as along your journey and people you've looked up to?
1: yeah you know um my my special soft spot for people that I admire and look up to are social justice warriors. Mm-hmm. I really that it started for me of all places with Eleanor Roosevelt mm-hmm. and I remember when I was like in fifth or sixth grade, there was a biography of her in our school library, and I think I read it like a bazillion times. I just was so fascinated with her <laughs> and one of the reasons I was so fascinated with her was because she really didn't have any cares about following rules that she thought were unjust to certain people. And there were certain things that she did like, um, you know, during segregation and as a part of, you know, awareness of the the racial differences in our society and, and the way that it was wrong, how we were separating people based on color, where she was very willing to not follow some of the rules that had been set out for her, what was proper for her in in her position. Mm -hmm. And in the last year, you know, there's been so much around social justice and, you know, racial equity and just all of the protests that we saw around the world. And I know some people probably took this different, I think everyone probably has their own reaction to what that looked like to them. I felt so hopeful seeing the energy and the number of people who were really felt, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, that it was a pro, we had to go into the streets. We have to make it clear that what's happening has to stop. We have to make it clear that we cannot go on this way. We have to address these issues that have been around forever and ever. And there's so many different people who have emerged over this last year in that space that I, you know, follow on social media or, whose journeys I'm really interested in because it is important. And for me always this idea that we have to treat people with dignity and respect, there has to be fairness and a real sense of equality in the way that we deal with one another has just always been really important. And I, I really don't like the word tolerance. I think that's one of the words that we've used in the past where, you know, we, we have to be tolerant of differences. Yeah. Um, no, I think we need to embrace differences. I think being tolerant is actually how we end up in these places where like, mm, we're, we're just going to coexist because we don't have a choice versus um, why am I afraid of what this person represents? I need to look at my own fear and figure out how I can change that so that I can interact with this person in a different way. Mm-hmm. And to me, we've got to move towards embracing. And, and my hope is that a lot of the activity that we've seen even though it's painful, because I think that's the nature of human beings that they they kind of we have to hit rock bottom collectively sometimes before we can go up. Um, but I do believe that all the unrest that maybe for some people feels very scary has felt very hopeful for me because I know even just working with individuals that sometimes the places that you find yourself before change is even really a possibility look pretty dark.
0: Yeah, yeah, a, a good point on a bunch of fronts. I mean, the rock bottom, I remember JK Rowling said that sometimes rock bottom is the sure foundation you need to rebuild uh, the life you want. I'm paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, what we do as people is a lot of times we're just trying to define ourselves. Like you talked earlier about our goals, where we find the things we don't want, and then we're building walls. And sometimes it's, it's in places where we shouldn't amongst each other i love what you said about our differences and and not just being tolerant but really embracing because it it reminded me too i was listening to uh while reading uh the seven habits and stephen covey i think in that book talked about some friends came to him they were having some problems in their marriage and he said well do you have kids and they did have kids and he said well uh, how how did that happen (laughs) and he says well you know how that happened you know (laughs) the process i mean you being in background in genetics even more so uh (laughs) but um (laughs) <laughs> what the point the point was of that story was you valued the differences. Not not embracing is all part of that. Let's embrace and value. It's like when you embrace someone in a hug, you're embracing them because you value them. Let's value these differences. Let's go mm-hmm. you know, I'm not trying to stand on a soapbox and pretend something, but I do I mean these are valid, valid, valid points uh, to em- embrace and value these differences. and And even moreover, let's embrace and value them. Because of the much more massive amount of common ground that we all share, not the least of which is this planet as a whole, which is literal common ground that we all share. Right. Like, I mean, I know that sounds kind of like oh, we're all hippies, and by the way, my mom was, but uh, so maybe that passed down. But really, those principles apply just just to have a peaceful place. I know I'm, I'm giving us a, a little speech here, so my apologies, but uh, <laughs> I, I think those are great. No, I points. like
1: it. I, I I could agree
0: more. Yeah, yeah I well, could well, agree
1: more. I really think that we are. We're in this together. And when we're triggered, we need to be willing to look at ourselves and figure out where the trigger is coming from rather than always directing our energy outward. And I think if nothing else, this last year has been full of triggers for all of us. And again, unpleasant, but there's an opportunity to look at yourself and say, why am I so triggered by this? And to own it for yourself rather than having an expectation that you can change the person or the situation necessarily that, that triggered you, you know, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't, but it's most important to start with our own, our own reasons for why we are a certain way so that we can look at whether that's serving us or not, or do we need to make some changes?
0: Yeah. There's, there's a level of honesty toward ourselves first. That's got to exist in order for ownership to take place. Right. So um and mm-hmm. on, on these topics, like we we've been all over the map a little bit here, and then talking about tool and stuff. But you have a, a course <laughs> that you're working on coming out uh, soon called the Anti Hustle Success Blueprint. And uh, what a fascinating and awesome yeah. name! Let's talk about that. And and where did the <sighs> name come from? And what's the basis? What are, what are we doing with this course?
1: Yeah. So, you know, speaking of um, quote unquote failures, one of the things that I have thought often since my book came out a couple of years ago is wondering like, did I, did I mistitle it um, Mm -hmm. by calling it the high achievers guide? Not because the content, the content is, is all exactly what I wanted to say, but I, I think the, the real point of the work that I do is to help people, you know, stop Forcing themselves to adhere to a particular path that drains them, depletes them, sucks the life out of them in order to have a version of success that ultimately doesn't really bring them anything that they're really seeking. Mm -hmm. There's so much messaging in our culture, and there has been for a long time around this hustle mindset for success. You know, just keep hustling, keep grinding, even some of the cliches that we use, like. I put my blood, sweat and tears into this. No pain, no gain. You know, there's so much that's just a part of the way that we think and what we hear that really has programmed us to believe that, you know, some version of, you know, near death experience is necessary in order to get to where you really want to go. And Mm -hmm. I just wholeheartedly reject that. And I believe that I, we see people suffering all over the place they're sucked into a, into a way of existing and living that isn't working for them. And they also feel trapped by it because it, there's a bit of a, a gilded cage thing happening here where you may get material compensation for living that life in the form of money and other things, but you're almost having to trade your well-being and other parts of your life in order to have that. And I just don't believe that's necessary, but it's also not just a flip that can be switched. And so the whole point of the course is to show people how to unwind the programming they have that has all of this hustle based baked into it and to create this new way of operating and thinking and approaching the way that you achieve things that is not hustle oriented.
0: Yeah. Well, hustle's such a like vague general and really for a lot of people has a lot of negative implications kind of word um, because mm-hmm. it's just, it's so, um, singular. It's just, oh, we're just going to hustle. And that's it. Like life is about a lot of things and hustle can be one of them, but, you know, segmenting out our lives with all the areas that matter, you know, and I did that. I actually spent some hours doing this on Sunday, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, family. And I put this at the top of the list because at the end of the day, that's, what's going to matter. I know this from watching people die. I know mm-hmm. this from, you know, where the, everyone says no one wishes they spent more time at the office. Well, that's true. And, and so, it's it's mm-hmm. about finding balance. Like if we look at the greater picture, you talk about go outside, look at the birds, hear the birds and all the other things. It's like the universe demands balance. And so we likewise, if we're going to be in tune mm-hmm. with this universe, I know I'm getting into some weird deep tool stuff here, but <laughs> we've got to find our own balance <laughs> as well. And yesterday, you know, I was working work from home and my son walks in and I said, well, why don't you just come sit down? And, we, and he laid on the bed with me and we just chatted for 10 minutes. And then my other son came, Later, Mm -hmm. and I was working like in the evening. I'm like, oh, I got to hustle. You know, we're talking about this word hustle. I got to hustle and work through the evening because that's what the cool, honest, uh, successful people do. And, And then I just heard him coming down the hall, and I'm like, no. I'm not doing this. I said, What do you want to do? Let's do something. Let's play Legos. Or we ended up sitting down and watching The Force Awakens uh, next to each other on the couch under the blanket. And it's those things, you know, I could go into tears about all this because I'm going to look back, he's going to be nine. Yeah. And then before we know it, he's going to be 20 and 30 we're not going to get some of these things back. So you have to pick and choose. Don't you, you have to prioritize? Like really, I could start cussing Freaking prioritize what matters. So you're not effing up your life. Mm-hmm. And then you come to the end, maybe you have COVID or a car accident, or you live to be 180. But at the end of it all, you look back, boy, I did a lot of stupid stuff. I prioritize sitting and typing up some emails, to watching the force awakens with my son. That's not to toot my horn. That's just, I'm, I'm just trying to get back to that place of balancing life with what matters. I, Brendan Burchard talks about yeah. I'm sorry, exactly. speech again. He he just talks about uh, sometimes things aren't way anywhere near as urgent as we pretend they are. Like when do we get to a place where it's mm-hmm. where it's like really urgent in an emergency? Okay, then is when uh, th- that we need to look at that. It's not every email has to be responded to right now. Every little thing is so urgent. Sorry, speech mm-hmm. again, but I just you know reminded me of all this stuff. <laughs> you you bring these things out of people. Yeah,
1: no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. It's it's you know this uh, we are li- we live in a reactive way. We don't live in a intentional way for the most part in an intentional way. And urgency definitely has trumped importance for far too long. And it's 100% a matter of prioritization. Absolutely. And that is one of the things that I talk about in the course, because a lot of people, you know, you can sit down at your desk and prioritize. And then when you're in the moment, getting sucked back into reactivity is very likely. And so those are those skills that you know, the mental muscles that need to be built up so that you don't just get sucked back into a way of doing things that hasn't been working for you, but you really are shifting the way that you look at your life and what gets your attention.
0: Yeah. Appreciate all of that. And you've, you've given us tons of like priceless gold here today. Um, As we talk about this whole thing about balancing our lives and a lot of what you're saying, do you have any insights from your own life? And even if you don't mind, as far as time management, like when you get up in the morning, I know these are all terms of people like, I don't like time management. We all have time in the day. It it, it helps to, it helps to take and kind of, Uh, prioritize and chunk things according to what matters. Um, Do you have any insights on that? Like how do Mm -hmm. we start our day, the morning rituals and things that we do to, and it may differ person to person, of course, but some things that you might have as insights, because I'm going to be focusing more on time management. So I want to hear some of your (laughs) thoughts because you have a lot of great wisdom.
1: Yeah, Sure. Well, you know, I think for me, um, one of my wake up calls was that the way that my mornings were going when I was in my corporate job were really detrimental for my family. There was a lot of rushing. There was a lot of, you know, needing to be out the door on time, needing to get certain things taken care of and feeling anxious if that wasn't happening. I personally, in the morning, really want that space to be free for my kids, you know, Mm -hmm. They're going to get started with school. And I know that the wake up time in the morning, um, sometimes it's very hard to predict how fast or slow they'll move. (laughs) And I just want to feel like I have all the time I need in order to be fine with whichever way that goes. And that for me was a very specific experience that I was having that I didn't want to have anymore. So I am actually not a person who I I tried doing like morning rituals where I sat down and did certain things. And what I shifted it to was, I want my morning to feel like I can interact with and connect with my children as much as I need to before they're off to school. And then when they're off to school, I start with, you know, journaling and meditation, and then I get into my day. So I always make sure to not schedule early meetings, I make sure to set up my time in a way that I'm maximizing when my mental flow is the best. And at times of the day where I know like, this is not my creative time, maybe that's when I prioritize doing things that feel more operational, like responding to emails or or things of that nature. So I think it's really important to not fight the flow, your particular flow when you're managing your time. So it's like, you know, if somebody keeps telling you it's first thing in the morning is the best time to exercise, but you're like, first thing in the morning is my best thinking time. Then you need to work it out. So that first thing in the morning, you're getting to get your mental time in the way that works for you, and then find a different time of the day where that flow isn't happening anymore to do the other things. So I, for me, time management is really about really paying attention to where you're able to align yourself with your natural energy levels instead of trying to create something that works against that.
0: Yes. Yes. Instead of trying to force something. I mean, I realize if we're going to work out, for example, mm-hmm. in some ways you're forcing because you're lifting weights and forcing your muscle to do something at, it- might not want to do initially get stronger, but, but I get what you're saying too, in the sense of, uh, of uh, you know, get to know yourself to really just know, Mm because some people are morning person. Some people are night person. I tend to be more of a night person. Some people are, uh, you know, don't have kids do have kids and maybe they work, maybe they don't. So what Mm -hmm. works for you and not beat ourselves up. I'm notorious for beating myself up in the sense of, Oh, I'm a perfectionist and this didn't go perfectly every, whatever, whatever, fake little delusional definition of perfection flows through <laughs> at least my head it's like I'm, I'm starting to get to this place now a little bit little by little where i go with my gut follow the flow and i just feel like i've learned in life through my own stupid choices and some good choices of uh that there's just power there and that we can, again, feel free there and not, not feel tied down with, oh, I've got this schedule and it's, it's, it's minute by minute. It's clocked out for the whole day. It doesn't necessarily have to be like yesterday with my sons. Those things weren't planned, but they happened that way. And I'm glad they did. Mm-hmm. And so like having a little open flexibility right. of some spontaneity that might occur as well <laughs> is uh, yeah. I mean, you can go really deep on that. Any thoughts? I mean, we could go, I could tell we could go for hours. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts as we get ready right. to close here? Um, and I'm sorry for my speeches, but you, again, anti-hustle success blueprint. And of course your book has been out for a little while, the high achievers guide um, on those topics. Before we got started, you use this phrase that I wrote down called people slowly killing themselves with all these little things that, that we allow To poison our lives, so to speak. Any final thoughts on any of that before we wrap Mm -hmm. up here, Mackie?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say um, just don't sacrifice your life at the professional altar. You know, and there's too many people who do that. Your health matters. Your connections matter. Your your people matter. Your relationships, you know, matter. They all matter more than whatever this thing is that you've been told to pour most of your energy into. And I think know that if you don't sacrifice everything at the professional altar, you're actually going to have a better professional experience anyway. And I think it's this black and white thinking that we're making a choice. Either we're giving our all to work so that we can have those outcomes or we're choosing other things that are our bigger priorities. And we think that somehow making that choice hurts us professionally. And I actually believe the opposite is true. It's when you feel happy and whole as a human being that you can actually be a better professional. And we've got to start thinking about it that way. I feel like we just have it backwards. So don't sacrifice everything you've got at the work altar. Everything else in your life that keeps you going is the fuel you need to make things happen professionally as well. So I guess that's my final thought.
0: (laughs) That's powerful, powerful stuff. And uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing so many great insights and I'm excited that you've got this course coming out. Again, the Anti-Hustle Success Blueprint. Beautiful title. I think a lot of people will be able to embrace that. And of course, your other book, The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest of Fulfillment. Also beautiful stuff. I, again, Mackie, thank you so, so much. And uh, to our audience, we're grateful and flattered you spend time with us. And uh, until next time, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.